Uh, would you uh, go with me to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 21, and we're going to look at chapter 22. Um, interesting, when you are asked to speak um, on a series that has been chosen, um, the pastor who's not here, shall remain nameless, um, gave me a whole section to preach on. I said, that's impossible to do that in 35, 40 minutes. So I chose two passages that I think capture the essence of what um, Samuel here is trying to communicate and how we might um, think through this topic on shattered relationships. Shattered relationships. So, 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we'll look at chapter 22. I think relationships are rather difficult. They... they um, they move beyond um, just our personal family to um, community, and then we look at relationships that we have with um, countries. And um, so relationships are shattered. And you don't have to pick up the newspaper. You don't have to get online to look at the problems that are facing people here, uh, even in our local church. And I think of the shattered relationships in my day, people who have hurt me. I remember a friend who betrayed me when I was in eighth grade. I'll never forget it. Uh, and you have those moments uh, in your own life where people have literally stuck a sword in your soul and you have never been the same since that moment in time. Can I get a, a hand raise to that effect? Because that's true. Um, it is like a sword that digs deep into your soul and, and every moment, every so often things trigger in your mind and you remember that that relationship was broken. And it's never been mended. It's never been restored. Life moves on, right? That old TV show, as it used to be called. Life doesn't move on in many ways because that relationship is still there. And we come to chapter 21 and chapter 22 and really all the way to the end of this great book, and we see that we have a divided family here. You have to remember that David and Saul are family. You have a father-in-law and a son-in-law. They are not getting along. Um, and you can ultimately forget that. You think, well, David is a king, Saul is a king, but they are family, and this family is beginning to show the division of what the kingdom of Israel is going to look like in, chapter, in the second Samuel as we move forward, and we start seeing the, the priests come along and even the prophets. So we have a divided kingdom beginning to spring up, namely because David and Saul are not getting along. David and Saul are not getting along. The continual hatred, the continual pain. And I'll just say this, that some say, well, it's Saul's fault. It's Saul's problem. Yes, and it's also David's problem as well. David is having some um, deliberate decisions that he is making in his life that are counting the costs. He doesn't realize at that moment that are going to impact relationships along the way. So here's the context. David is on the run from his dad. He has married Saul's um, daughter, and things are just not going well in that personal relationship. And some of you have testimony to that effect that that is where you are at today. You have extended family that you are fighting with, and you're not looking forward to Thanksgiving that is uh, approaching here. Mainly, you hate the holidays because the holidays remind you of wars, Conversations at the dinner table is something to avoid. You hope the hour goes quickly because you want to gather up your kids and, and things and get out of there, head out of Dodge, because that's where war is. So whether it's a friend that broke your heart in eighth grade or whether you're fighting with your father-in-law or your mother-in-law or your mother or your father or a sister or a brother, relationships that are shattered, if they go unintended, will erupt a sword in your soul for the, your whole life. It'll just like a big stab in the heart. And that's what's going on here in David, Saul's life. It's like a sword has ripped through the family, and it goes unattended and continues all the way until the day Saul dies um, in, in battle. You can read that along another way. There are decisions that we make that impact relationships so whether it's a mother or a father that spoke an unkind word to you when you were a child, and you remember that. You remember that. Um, our family went and saw Inside Out. Anyone see that movie? It's a precious movie. You ought to, you ought to 
um, I would encourage you, it, 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 I, you know, I don't cry in many movies, but that was probably a movie I had a lot of tears done because um, there, there was a family there, and that little girl had some um, uh, things that she learned along the way, deep hurts, deep pain that she got trapped up in her emotions, and I'm not going to unveil this, the movie for you, you can watch it, but let me just say that words do hurt. Actions do hurt you, and you remember and for David, he's on a run. And I think these are things for David personally that I'm going to focus on that because they go unhealed, because they go unattended, because he doesn't deal with his own failure in this great family, it continues to pierce his heart. And this is why he is on the run for his life because everyone, every man's man is against him. He doesn't know what to do. But the the greatest thing about David for you to walk away today is that David, according to the scriptures here in 1 Samuel, is a man after God's own heart. And if you want to be a person after God's own heart, allow God to break you. And that's why I love the Psalms, because David begins to pour out his life for us. It's his repentance. We see the narrative in 1 Samuel. We see it. It's like a live movie display for us, Hollywood style, okay? Hollywood style, relationship broken, on a run, prodigal on a run, doesn't know what to do. No one's supporting him. He doesn't know where to turn. And so where does he go? It's probably good that he goes here. He goes to a place of spiritual comfort in his own life. He goes to find spiritual counsel. But what happens here, as you look at your outline, if you want to follow along, that David seeks God's spiritual counsel without the right heart. He heads to the place where, where spiritual counsel can be taken place. Why don't you call that the church? Well, many people who are on the run spiritually head to spiritual places. Often look at Christians uh, in, as they're growing and maturing, and they often recount of how, where God transformed their life, and, and then they hit a miss, and, and they start going downhill. And often when I, when I counsel uh, people, they say, yeah, I, I went to that place where God spoke to me. Well, God's always speaking. Why do you have to go to that spiritual place? Well, that's where God spoke. But God's speaking to you right now. Nothing magical about the place, but well, let's, just, let's just take this for instance. This is where David goes to find peace. This is where David goes to find a place of surrender in his old life because he can't go anywhere else. His whole family is a mess. He's caused it. His father-in-law's caused it. I mean, he doesn't know where to go. So why not go find a priest that can solve his problem? Amen? Why not go there? <laughs> the problem is, the problem is sometimes we don't go to church with the right heart. Sometimes we don't go to worship with the right motivation. And so David is here. He's at this place in time. He shows up at, uh, and he comes to Nod and he meets up with Elimelech, the, the priest. And here the story is a set. And it's like, why is he here? He's all by himself because no one's supporting him. What a desperate place to be of no support, no kinsman, no brother, no friend, no supportive help. I mean, his, his own friend Jonathan's not there. He's on a run for his life. And he shows up in the city of Nob where the priests are at, where the priests are gathered, where the priests do their, their function and their ceremonial duties before the Lord. And... and Elimelech sees David, and he's trembling with fear, and he's like, what are you doing here? The anointed one of Israel, what are you doing here all by yourself? And David goes into long, this, this narrative account, he says, well, the, the, the king has sent me, and I have no food, and, and I have no weapon, I have no sword. What are you doing here, David? Great fear. And it might be that Elimelech, the, the priest, is in great fear because he knows Saul is after David, and he doesn't want anything to happen to the, to the priest in, in, in the city of Nob. Maybe so. 
Maybe he's just distraught and trembling with fear because here is the king, the, the truly anointed one of Israel, whom Samuel has what? Has anointed to be the next in line to the king. Could be that. So either of those two might be here why he's trembling and fearing. Um, I like to say that maybe he's, he's just, David's displaced and he doesn't know what to do with a king that is displaced. And, and we later see that as he flees from Nob, he goes into another area on the run and he kind of acts crazy. And we'll get to there. But David seeks spiritual counsel without the right heart. Interesting, the word Elimelech means my brother is king. You ought to write that down somewhere. My brother is king. He is uh, literally the one ruling over this this area of Nob, where the priests are at. And so David comes, he, he meets up, and here's this priest trembling with fear, doesn't know what to do with David. He asks a series of questions. Why are you here? Oh, my, 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 my Lord has sent me. I'm here to do uh, what I'm supposed to be asked to do. I'm on a mission. I'm on a, a here's what the, the king has told me to do. Well, that's not true. The king's told him nothing at this point. He's running because he's what? He's scared of Saul killing him. Okay, so automatically David is, doesn't have the right heart. He's lying already to a priest. That's not, that's, he shouldn't be doing that. He's lying. Then he says what? I don't have anything to eat. Do you have anything to eat? And so Elimelech says, well, we, I don't have anything to give you except for the consecrated bread that we, has been offered upon the altar. And, and, you know, if you go back to Leviticus, you'll be able to read through that, that, that the priests were, were to offer these series of 12 loaves, um, consecrated bread, and after the day when it's been consecrated that the priest might eat and of that sacred bread, that, that holy bread. Okay, so, so Elimelech says, okay, well, we do have the consecrated bread, but David, um, before you eat it, have you remained holy yourself and any of your men that are with you, have they remained holy and set apart? Have they been with any women? And if they have, they can't participate in the, the holiness and, and take the holy bread offering and take it and feed upon themselves. Well, David says, no, we, we haven't done that. We, we've kept ourselves clean and pure before God. Well, that's sin number what? That's sin number two. Sometimes when we go to God's house and we seek spiritual counsel, we don't go with the right heart in mind, and we begin to lie, and we begin to cheat, and we begin to, to think about our own self-image. And so here David is automatically lying at the beginning. Yes, he's on the run. Yes, Saul's after him. But he could be truly honest with Elimelech and say, yeah, I'm on the run. I, I don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah, I came unprepared. <laughs> I, I, I have nowhere else to turn. You literally are my savior. You literally are the one I need help from. I don't know what to do. I have, but he doesn't do that. Later we find out he does when we get to chapter 52 of Psalm and 56 is where he begins to record his, his repentance. And so have, have David's men kept themselves pure? No. Then he says, I have no weapon to, to keep myself from from harm. And Elimelech says, well, you, we, do have, we do have Goliath's sword in the back of the ephod that if, if you are willing, he said, there is none like that. There is none like, you begin to see, what is it? The sword, there's none like that sword. May I have that sword? May I have it? Because that will set the next scene here as we move from David not having the right heart as he enters a holy place a place where he's seeking spiritual counsel. And he begins to lie. He begins to not share the full story with the, um, with the priest. And this will get him into trouble later on in chapter 22. So here we have a homeless king. Here we have a, a king who lies and doesn't share the full truth. And, you know, to be homeless and to be out without a home is nothing to laugh at, Right? To be on the run, I don't know if you've ever been on the run before because of your personal failure. I've talked to many um, um, prodigals in my life where they're, they're on the run and because of, of certain decisions they have made in their life, they cannot return home. They're not welcome back. 
And maybe this is where David's at. He's homeless. He's on the run. He has no other place to go. The only place he knows where it could be safe is where the priests dwell, where the priests offer up their um, sacrifices, where the priests go about their, their holy duties. That seems to be a safe place, a place where God is speaking, a place where God is at work and God reserves as holy. Might it be for us today that we don't come to seek out a spiritual place and think, boom, God is going to meet me right there. In all places, in all time, God meets us, and he speaks to us, and he instructs us, and he encourages us. That's what we can find here for David. David, yes, he's moving. He's moving in the right direction, but it's half-hearted. It's not fully right. And as David records in Psalm 35, he says, Contend, O Lord, with these who, who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up a shield and a buckler, arise and come to my aid. Can you just feel it right now? He's homeless. He doesn't have a place to go. He doesn't know what to do. Part of the reason why he's homeless is because he's not seeking God out with the right heart. And yet he's a man after what? God's own heart. Amen? He's a man after God's own heart. And you can be a person after God's own heart. When you seek him in the right place at the right time throughout the remainder of your life. Broken relationships, shattered relationships in our lives, unintended relationships are like a sword that pierces our heart, our family, and our community, and our nation. It is like a sword that digs deep down into an open wound and is never healed. And if it goes unintended, it will wreak havoc in your life. So it is for David, a homeless king, a lying king, trying to get ahead, trying to make it work, and this is where we have it. So he asks Elimelech for this sword. I thought this was rather striking because um, you can move through 1 Samuel and just miss it all together. Matter of fact, if you would just do a word study, just do a word study. You can go on Bible Gateway today and do your fancy word study. But let me give it a, over 60 times from 1 Samuel chapter 1 all the way to the end of the book. You have some 35 to 40 times the word sword is used throughout the book. And I think the author is trying to communicate something. And he's setting the stage. So you remember Samuel, what does he do? He, he um, goes and inquires before the Lord and says, Lord, they don't want you as king. They want an earthly king. And you know what? When an earthly king is set up, he'll do damage in your life. And that's what, really what God says. Samuel, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you as what? As a prophet. They're rejecting me as king over the nation. Let him do it. Let him have it. Because this king, what will he do? He will wreak havoc in your life. He'll make your people do what? Serve in the military. He will take a a quarter of your possessions. He will tax you. He will do all these things. And you wanted a king, he says. Remember, I fight for you. God, ultimately, in the Old Testament, if you want to write this down in your Bible, is the divine warrior king who leads his people. And when you reject the divine warrior king, it's like a sword that goes right into your heart and pierces your deepest wound. And if that goes unintended, will wreak havoc in your life. Wow. This is what's going on in this shattered family. How about you? Is your unattended, unhealed relationships, your shattered relationships, are they going unattended? Are you no longer following the divine warrior, the king of all the earth who has set the nations in place and we, his people, have denied him his right to reign? You see, people don't always come to worship, don't always attend worship with the right heart in mind. Sometimes we come to worship with our own um, desires to be met. And don't, don't get me wrong, there are desires that, that we want to be met. We, you know, those are, those are important. But sometimes the desire that's selfishly motivated, and I come to the spiritual place thinking that God's just going to solve it right there and then. Maybe not. 
maybe there's a whole history there that has to be unearthed. A whole history of uh, relationships that have been broken and you've caused it and you haven't gone back to seek those relationships out and ask for forgiveness and, and, and you're saying, God, how come you're not healing? Because you haven't sought what? You haven't sought the repentance that I've desired for you. Go meet those. Be a peacemaker. Take the road, as Romans 12 says, you be at peace with all who? With all people. As far as it depends on you, you be at peace. Then you can come to God's spiritual house and find healing for your heart. That, that pierced heart where the sword goes in will be released from you, and God's spiritual natural healing will come in, and He will heal you of the pain and the loss. That's what we have here. But interesting here in chapter 21, all this is going on. David has now lied. He doesn't have really the right heart. And here enters character number three. Character number three, and his name is Doag. Doag shows up um, in this place of worship just like David. We're not sure why he's there. He could be there because he has to make some amends to, to God, and he is offering up maybe some type of um, offering. But he's there, and he's seeing this. And Doag is a sheep herder, a, a caretaker of donkeys among Saul's um, shepherding group. Here he is, a Syrian, an outsider of the people of God. He listens in to what's going on. He's kind of like the Judas of the crowd. Shows up. An unconverted man, a, a, a disconnected from the house of Israel, he is there too, there, with, not with the right heart. Again, the author of 1 Samuel is trying to set the scene here for what's going to happen in chapter 22. Don't miss it. This person, who is a follower of Saul, one of Saul's right uh, arm individual, keeper of his flock, is also there listening in, making inquiry to the Lord, yet he doesn't have the right heart. And a man after God's own heart, who doesn't allow the Lord to intervene in his life, will allow a sword to dig deep in the deepest wound and cause that wound to spread and become infected with more sin and more sin. And so here Doag leaves the place of the priests and heads back to where Saul is at, as Saul in chapter 22 is underneath the tamarisk tree. And what is he doing in chapter 22? He has his what? Long, slender-looking thing. Um, and matter of fact, every time you read about Saul, he's always holding his, his spear, his sword. And he kind of likes it, kind of like those guys who like their guns, Right? This is Saul. I mean, the, guy is, the guy is nuts. He's a nut job. Um, he's a crazy man. Uh, you would be crazy too because um, we're told in, in 1 Samuel that an evil spirit came upon who? Upon Saul. And of course he's always grabbing his sword. The, the guy is violent. The guy knows how to fight. He knows how to kill. Um, and he wants who dead? Who does he want dead? He wants his son-in-law dead. That's, that's not a happy Thanksgiving, folks. It's like showing up to your father-in-law's house and he's got his rifle in, in stock. That might have happened when you were dating uh, um, at the time and, and he was going to give your, <laughs> your future wife to you. But that, this is it's like the shotgun's ready, ready to fire. His spear is ready. He wants to kill um, David. Before we get there, David leaves Nob and he doesn't get things right. He lied, right? He lied before the priests, and his spiritual life is still a mess. He's still not figuring this out. So where does he go? He's on a homeless run, and he goes to Gath. Why is he there? Why does he go to the place where Goliath was slew, the, amongst the Philistines, where, where that was happening? Why does he go back to the arch enemy of Israel and, and find counsel there? Because when you're on a spiritual digression, you often go to people who are also on a spiritual decline as well. That's why it says bad company, what? Corrupts good morals. Is that true? Maybe so. You love to align yourself with who? With unbelievers who are also on a downward spiral 
um, of moral demise. So David, number two, aligns with unbelievers in chapter 21. Again, the focus here is on David. David making some um, uh, decisions and choices that are going to interrupt him and cause a serious uh, wreck uh, in his own life and the life of others. So David flees here to Gath. <laughs> and he shows up with the king of Achish, and he's like, um, um, he's like, why are you here, David? Again, similar question to what the priest of Nob just asked. Why are you here, David? Mm. Why are you here? Why did you come today? Did you come with the right heart? Are you here today because you have, you have the right intention that you want God to what? God to, uh, to um, instruct. And maybe you're going to leave today and you're going to leave this church and, and you're going to go to Gath. Your gaff is where unbelievers dwell. That's where you like it. That's where you like to be. That's where it's fun. The church? No. That's not where I want to be because that's where spiritual people are at. And every time I show up where spiritual people are at, I become convicted. And so where do I go? I go where unbelievers are at because they won't point out my sin. I got some people like that in my circle. Friends. Got one friend in mine. I wish um, he would come to his senses and realize that he can't play around with God. He can't be uh, in some habitual sin and think that everything is okay and praise Jesus all at the same time and raise his hand. I've mentioned that to him a few times. Uh, Facebook is a wonderful place to see where people are hanging out at. Yeah. We don't have to go too far anymore, huh? Facebook is a wonderful place to see where people really are hanging out at. Are you aligning yourself with unbelievers? This is what David does in chapter, in chapter 21, verse before, before all this is going on. What is he going to do? Because his, his unattended shadow relationships continue to go awry, because he continues to let these things fester, because he allows these things to continue down the downworld spiral of, of mess, he is heading to a place where he shouldn't go. And so here the king says, Did they not sing to one another of him and dance? Saul has struck down his thousands, but David is what? His de- David his ten thousand. You say, David, why are you? You say it. Why are you here? Why are you here? David doesn't know what to do. Huh? Got my sword in hand. Remember, he takes a sword from Elimelech, from the priest of Nan. Um, some commentators, scholars say, well, maybe he's going to antagonize the Philistines again. I got my sword! <laughs> the same sword that I chopped Goliath's head off. <laughs> Are you going you gonna to come after me? So maybe he's there to taunt the Philistines. I don't think so, because he's on a run. In chapter 21, and then all of a sudden in chapter 22... We, we see this, this downward cycle here for David making some incalculated decisions that are not wise, that are not uh, decisive and right. And so what happens? Well, things begin to um, take uh, tear apart here in chapter 22, and he realizes that he shouldn't be in Gath. He shouldn't be here because the king Achish doesn't want him here. You're here to taunt me, he says. You're here to, to poke at me. And then David realized, okay, my safety is at, at risk here. And he begins to act crazy. And the text says that he allows a little spittle to come down his beard. I mean, this is, this is some serious play charades. You ever played charades before? Uh, David was a good actor. Crazy dude. I mean, I wish I could do it right now. That would be really fun. The, the guy goes cycle on King of Asia, and he starts foaming at the mouth as what the Hebrew begins to, okay? So you're, you're like, this is, why does he do it? Because because he's going to get killed right on that spot. He's entered no man's land in many ways, the enemy's camp, um, uh, without, his, without his 400 men, right? He's by himself. He's homeless. No family, no, no military might behind him. What is he going to do? Well, I'll go to where my enemies are at. <laughs> I'll go where everyone knows my name. Yeah, right? The old cheers. 
sitcom. I go to the place where everyone knows my what? My, my name. At least maybe they'll treat me. And maybe that was his thought. I'm going to go to Gath, the land of the Philistines, because I slaughtered their giant. I killed their, their man. I, they're not going to harm me. I'm going to be able to just look like everyone else. No, they know who you are, David. They know who you are. You can't play charades. You're not going to be able to. And so what happens? He acts insane. And so this is literally what Achish is like, oh, get him out of here. Uh, anyone who acts insane is like an evil spirit has come upon our land, and we don't want that bad stuff happening here. So send him out. So that's what he does. He heads out. He's like, oh, my enemies don't even want me. My family don't, doesn't want me. My wife doesn't want me. My children don't want me. My best friend doesn't want me. My brother-in-law doesn't want me. My sister-in-law doesn't want me. My father wants me dead. Can I say any more, people? And so what he does, he heads to a cave. Often caves are wonderful places, and the scriptures talk about loneliness. And that's where he does. He heads to this cave, and um, he begins to have a pity party. You ever had a pity party before? All the time, right? All the time. And you're very public about it. You ever public about it? A pity party? This is a pity party amongst pities. Um, because what happens is when someone's depressed, a whole bunch of other people get depressed. Right? Right? When you're depressed, it's easy for this to just spread in through a household. And it's, it's easy to spread through a church, and it's easily spread through a nation. And so let's just treat it as that. They're not the church, but at least it's a nation. It's a community of people. It's a family, and they're all discouraged. The text says that they were bittered in spirit. They don't know what to do. David, the man after God's own heart, is struggling here. The reason why he's struggling is because he has some relationships that go unattended. Verse 2, chapter 22 says, Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. I don't know if I want people who are depressed also to counsel me who is depressed. That's not good. I need some tiggers in my life who are happy and joyful and bouncing all the time, right? It's okay, David. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. The whole community is distressed. That's not a great place to be. You're like, how did they get there? You can write this down. They got there because David allowed the sword to pierce his own very heart. And the wound that that created went unattended for years. It went unattended. And that wound opened up and got affected with disease called sin. And that sin exploded and took many, many people with him. That's a serious biblical illustration that I'm trying to get across today, that if you allow the sword, the sin, that can divide a family, go unattended, will dig deep down, deeper and deeper, and create a wound even bigger than it's where it was at. And if it goes unattended for several, 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 many, 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 many years, will wreck and continue to wreak havoc on your very soul. And that's what's happening here. They gather together. They're having a pity party. They're depressed. They're bitter. That's a very strong word in the text. They're bitter in the soul. Things are not going well. David suffers great distress and depression. So that's that whole section here. And you might be here. You might be here. You might feel that you are in great distress today. Your 400 people are crying. They're bitter at heart. Everyone's depressed. Everything is falling apart. And it might be because you've made some spiritual missteps in your own spiritual relationship with the Lord. And you came to his house, not with the right heart. And you lied. And you cheated. And you coveted. You took the sword that was placed there for a time. You wanted to. You go into Gath, a place of unbelievers. That's where you go. Because that's where you feel like your soul is going to be attended to. And yet it doesn't. There is no soul 
that can be find medicine where God does not dwell. You will not find it. But when you seek God and you seek Him with all your heart and with the right motivation and the right steps, God will honor you and God will bless you and God will heal you of all your diseases. And that sword that digs a deep wound into your very soul will be mended and cured and healed. Praise God for his glorious truth and his glorious gospel. Everyone was bitter in soul. Sometimes great misery of the soul brings others together. It's like a magnet that draws others. <laughs> in the Middle Eastern culture, when someone dies, sometimes they hire a crier, uh, several criers. I don't like funerals. I don't even like going to our family funerals in our Middle Eastern culture because, because people who show up, it's like, you didn't know my uncle. Why are you crying? It's like cultural in many ways. And, and people will start wailing over here to the right of me. And, and it really makes you depressed. Okay? The Americans, you don't understand. They just start wailing and crying while the preacher is speaking words of comfort and and consoling of the heart. <laughs> I'm serious. Misery gathers many, many people around you. That's what's happening here. So, shows up at the sanctuary of God, doesn't find counsel there. Things are not going well. Heads to Gath, thinking, boy, maybe they will accept me. Things don't happen well there. He's so depressed, he heads to the what? A cave. And he finds his family, his men of 400. Dave is in distress, they're in distress. They all start weeping, and they all start complaining. Here, then, we have chapter 22. And David's personal failure harms others. That's number four. David's personal failures harms others. What did he do at, in the city of Nob among, among the priests? He what? He lied, and he did not tell the what? The truth. What did he do next? He head toward a place where unbelievers are at to find spiritual counsel there and, and, and maybe some peace, maybe from peace from the storm of what he thought would help. Doesn't find counsel there. He has to act insane and look like a crazy person, a nut job. And so he heads then to where? A cave. Find some other family members and friends who are also discouraged and depressed and their leaders depressed, and so they all start weeping and <laughs> utterly together. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Yes, it is. Why? Because he's not what? He doesn't have a right heart. He's allowing these unintended relationships to be shattered and broken, and he continues to deny it in his own life. Oh, but thanks for the Psalms here. Thanks for the Psalms. And here David personal failures continue to violate his conscience, and he needs to deal with it. And so, here then is chapter 22. Do you remember Doag? Remember Doag, the, the unbeliever, the outsider? Where was he at? He was also there, peeking in, listening to the conversation that David and Elimelech were having. He was there, also not with the right heart. He was listening, and that listening caught his eye and his ear, and he travels back to Saul, and, and the conversation begins to explode among Saul. Here Saul is with his what? He has a sword out, kind of like with his 12-gun, 12, 12 you know, 12-barrel uh, gun. He's just kind of twirling around. This is the, Saul, just kind of. Some say, well, why does he have a spear in his? Well, maybe he's waxing it. Maybe he's putting oil on it. We don't know, but he loves his sword. He loves his spear. He really wants to kill his son-in-law. That's where it's at. And so here in chapter 22, we meet him. And now, verse 6, Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him. <laughs> Saul was sitting at Gabeah under the Timur's tree. Timur's tree is like a bushy evergreen tree. It's just kind of ugly. It's different than an olive tree. This bushy, ugly evergreen tree. Here he is on the height with a spear in hand, and all his servants were standing about Saul. Verse 7, and Saul said to his servants who stood about him, here 
Hear now, people of Benjamin. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? And will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? You're like, where is this coming from, Saul? Saul started saying that early chapters, several chapters ago. Remember when they were fighting against the Philistines? And everyone was scared? And, and, he, and he made this appeal, if anyone of you men can kill this Goliath, I will give you what? I will give you lands, kingdoms, and by the way, I'm going to give you my girl. Is that going to be motivating for a man? Well, yes, it was. David hears it. He leaves the cheese, the sacket of cheese, the, the bag of cheese that his dad gave to him. Remember, his dad said, hey, son, go check on my boys. Go see how they're doing. Bring back a token. And here the, the, the armies of the Philistines and Israel are gathered, and they're yelling at each other back and forth. VeggieTales do it right, I think. And they, you know, but they show fish going back and forth. But the point is that they're yelling at each other, taunting each other. I'm bigger than you. My dad can take you down on the playground set. My dad's taller than you. He's six foot nine. Well, my dad can what? And you're saying, well, did you ever have those conversations, Joe? All the time. My dad was short. He wasn't six foot nine. But he could sure hurry, be uh, quick in a hurry when he was upset at you. Very quick. So here we have this taunting. David hears it. I mean, David is a warrior. <laughs> and he goes after. He's like, so, so he hears this conversations. Who, who will kill this uncircumcised Philistine? He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm going to get my land, I'm going to get my possessions, and I'm going to get my girl. What a beautiful day. I can do it. And he starts getting everyone excited about it. And Elab, Pastor Travis talked about Elab a little bit. Elab catches on to David, and David says, Why have you come down to the battle? You left those sheep in the wilderness. All you want is to get after. That's all you want. He goes, I know you're evil and you're presumptuous. That was Elab's comment. And David returns and says, is it not a what? Is it not a word? What word? Word that Saul says, if anyone kills the Philistine, I will get what? I will get my possessions. Yay. Well, Saul's upset. Saul's upset. So none of his people of Saul's army is going to do anything about it. So verse 8, he says, all of you have conspired against me. This is Saul. And no one dis- discloses to me when my, my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. No one tells me this. You're all against me. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait at this day. Saul is not a happy camper today, right? Not a happy camper. He's not happy. He's upset. So what happens? Verse 9. Then answered Doag the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Elimelech, the son of Etub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Ooh. Can you just see now Saul pause here for a moment? What has David done? David goes to the house of worship, not with the right, what you say it, not with the right heart. Here comes an unbeliever into the house of the Lord who also doesn't have the right heart. He hears this interchange. He sees the provision given from the priest of Nob. And David's lying, all this going on in, in the service and he goes back, this outsider of the people of God, he holds it in his heart. He knows David is running. He knows no one's in support, but he knows he's gotten support from the priest of Nod. The priest of Nod has provided provision for him, bread, and even Goliath's sword. And he holds up here for a while. He has the truth. None of Saul's men are standing up. None of Saul's men are, are giving the report. So maybe this is Doag's hour to rise up and shine. And, and maybe it is his hour to get the land and the girl that was given to David in the latter chapters before. Maybe this is his time to rise up 
and we find that he doesn't have the right heart because what does he do? We learn in chapter 22 that none of David's or none of Saul's men are willing to kill the priests of Nam. Matter of fact, Saul summons Elimelech to come and he inquires again, is this what you did? He says, yes, this is what I did. I gave provision to David. I gave him the sword. Why did you do this? Why have you conspired against me? Why have you tried to, to take my kingdom away? And then he, Saul turns to his men. I want you to kill this man. I want you to kill him. I want you to kill all the priests. And none of his men would do it. Maybe because they realize to kill holy men is to bring more consequence on themselves and the nation. And so then he turns to Doag, an outsider, an unbeliever. You kill him. You take the sword. You dig it deep into the heart of this kingdom. Get rid of everything you can think of. And that's what he does. He goes to the city of Nod. He gathers Elimelech's family. Everything, everything, everything. And he starts a bloody, bloody mass, massacre mess in that great city. The guy is untamed because his heart is not right before God. And David says, I knew, I knew. And that's important here because he owns his mistake. I knew on that day when I saw Doag the Edomite. When I saw him there, when he was also there, I knew the mule herder. I knew the mule keeper of Saul would go back and wreck and pierce the deepest wound into the nation of Israel and take many, many, many people down with him. Folks, when you let a wound go unattended, a relationship that goes unattended. It is like a sword that digs deep and pierces the deepest wound of your heart and digs and digs and digs and it bleeds all over and it gets infected and spreads to a whole host of other people. And it harms and it hurts and it betrays. And Doag shows us this And he goes on this rampage and he kills everything in sight but one person. One individual is spared. He escapes. Abinathar comes, verse 20, chapter 22. He he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, verse 22. And David said to Abinathar, I knew, he says, I knew, I knew, I knew it. I knew it. And I love this, verse 23. You stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be saved. You shall be safe. Turn to chapter 52 of the psalmist, because this is where we see um, the heart of David, a man after God's own heart, who seeks not only to heal these unattended, shattered, broken relationships, he, he's, he's, he's moving toward this, this character quality that, that God says, he's a man after my own heart. And when you become a person after God's own heart, you can write a new song that describes even what David describes in chapter 52 of the psalmist. He says, to the choir master, a mascal of David, when Doag the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of the king. Why do you boast of evil, mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all that day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You see, a razor is like a what? It's like a dagger. It's like a sword. And it digs. It digs deep into the wound. Your tongue plots destruction, verse 2. Verse 3, you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all the words that devour. Oh, deceitful tongue. Was David deceitful, friends? Absolutely, he what? He lied. He lied, didn't he? 
we see that in 51 too because he lies there too and he says, oh Lord, clean, clean my heart out, right? Clean within me, a clean, great in me a clean heart, O oh God, and, and take not thy spirit from me. Give me that renewal he talks about in 51. And, and so what I love about the Psalms, if you don't read the Psalms, especially as you read through 1 Samuel and 2, you'll miss the heart of David. So the, the narratives here, the stories here, is that it's, to, it's like a live movie. It captures the scene. It sets the tone. This is what these people are doing. They're making some bad mistakes, but then God heals them, doesn't he? The Psalms are the healing of, of, of Gilead, the medicine for the soul. And here, David begins to show how he is a man after God's own heart. He desires that his relationships, his broken relationships within his family become mended and healed. And a man after God's own heart allows broken relationships to go unintended, will wreak havoc, will send a spear, will send a sword into the deepest, deepest parts of our being and it will continue to hurt and continue to scar. These spiritual missteps, if they go unattended, will leave you weak, will leave you paralyzed, and leave you bitter in heart. And my prayer for you is that you would be a person after God's own heart, repentant, seeking after Him, longing after Him, coming to his house with the right motivation, the right heart, and seeking him with all your desires. And truly, God will meet you there. Shall we pray? Would you stand with me as we close? And after I pray, you are dismissed. Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, we thank you for these biblical stories that are real. They're inspired of you. They're guided by the human author as you have guided them to write these things down as they have been told and written long ago for our instruction. Might we not just treat them as just a story. May we see even ourselves in the midst of these characters that we too, if we allow shattered relationships and broken, unattended relationships go unmended and unhealed, We'll send a spear, a sword into our heart and dig out that wound and allow the infectious sin and disease to spread into a whole host of other people. Might you dig that out, Father. Might you heal us. And might we leave this place seeking maybe those broken relationships once again and asking God, would you heal? Would you mend? Would you restore? To the glory of our great Father, our King Almighty, we ask it. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people agree by saying, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.